gozaimasu. It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular. Last week on the show, we talked about some really intense Japanese V cinema episode or movies in an episode titled A Vagina Full of Broken Glass, which I was really pleased about naming the episode. That's great.、Um, and this week, we are talking about some. Very horny French women's pussies and their desire for the ravishment of them、uh, with two novels, one being Simple Passion by Annie Ernaux and the other being Story of O by Pauline Rayage. And I'm joined by a very special returning guest, Hurriel. Hi, I am John. I go as Telepathy Party, or now I'm tel- Telepathy Darty on, on Twitter. And、Hi. I'm really excited to be here again. <laughs> Yeah, welcome back. I, we were just mentioning this on the Patreon,、um, but like,、uh, I feel like when I had you come on during season two, it was at a very similar state in my podcasting journey. I always get like a little like lost and self reflective around、uh, the midway point. So I'm very happy to have you back. But what have you been up to lately, John?、Um, I just moved from、uh, downtown LA to Koreatown in LA. And Right now, I'm surrounded by、um, like James Elroy novels and、uh, Evangelion posters. And I see my Suspiria poster over there with Tilda Swinton on it. And I'm really excited to get my life together. And, you know, I was actually, this reading story of O was great for me because I got really, really sick for about like two weeks. I have no idea if it was COVID. And I really hate it when people ask that. Like, I just want to be sick. <laughs> But、um, I. Like, completely just stopped reading for like a month after that. And this is literally the first book that I've read in a month. Oh, wow. Like, well, just, welcome back. Yeah, exactly. I just took, and it really, I mean, it, it, it definitely sort of, you know, put a, put a cat, you know, on my, on my brain and sort of, I mean, sizzled me back into motion. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm grateful for this. I, it's, it was also like an incredibly, Horny experience. I had a really hard time not jacking off when I was reading it. Yay, I'm glad to hear that. I think it's really、um, enticing as well, especially when I was revisiting it.、Um, it it's 7 a.m. here, or I guess it's 8 a.m. now. I'm drinking、um, homemade instant coffee out of my Evangelion Nerve mug. I'm sitting next to all of my. Madonna's CDs, and I have my、uh, Kindle in front of me with all the quotes I selected from these two. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to、um, talk about these with you. And it's funny, too, because、uh, the first time we were on my show, we talked a little bit about、uh, Samuel R. Delaney. We talked yeah, about、uh, Tagami Gengoro together. And、uh, I think、uh, we're definitely reaching a logical conclusion oh, yeah, this, of those with、uh, <laughs> this these narrative nasty of like, erotic、books. literature, of deranged erotic literature. I love it. <laughs> yeah, me too.、Um, I don't know. I've recently definitely been. Feeling my Madonna erotica moment for、okay. sure. Like、oh, yeah. this past weekend, I wore the Marilyn wig. I like wore a dress made out of belts. Like, oh, I saw that. Yeah, that that was fire. Thank you. I don't know. I just, um, I'm feeling like it's time to get in touch with the、uh, inner starving vagina. Yeah. Okay. Well, so can I actually say that I bought an entire, I was going to go with Marilyn Monroe for Halloween. Like,、oh. because Blonde was like one of the most. Like, violent and invasive and sadistic experiences I've ever been through in a movie theater and completely rewired my brain. 
and I have been truly possessed by the uh, like schizoid spirit of Marilyn Monroe. I've been reading all of this shit about her. There isn't a single like continuous narrative about her available. Like nobody seems to be able to agree on who or what she was. But unfortunately, I had to move, so I had to miss my Halloween celebrations. But I'll wear my Marilyn outfit at some point. Yeah, good. Just put it on for like a, a glass of wine in the kitchen yeah. or something, honestly. <laughs> um, that reminds me as well. Uh, you're back on Twitter recently, which has delighted me. But in the meantime, uh, you have become a, a frequent reoccurring character in one of my favorite podcasts, which is Filthy Armenian Adventures. Oh, yeah. And uh, listening to you trollop around, discussing the movies you watch with him, uh, including Blonde, has been really special. And I, uh, I love this image of uh, these two artistic gay men from very different generations uh, joining up in the radio format to go on these uh, sprawling yeah, these uh, film criticism adventures. It's amazing. Yeah, um, I was, I mean, I was so... I was like so con- I felt when I first saw Blonde I like felt the exact same way as when I saw Evangelion 3.0 um which is and oh, so and true. the first time that I saw Melancholy when I saw a Lars von Trier movie which was Melancholia um both of those experiences I came out completely like just like it it felt like I'd been like whipped and um it felt like my brain was being attacked by demons on all sides. And I was like furious in this really, really special way that if you listen to that episode closely, I'm like trying to repress, but I was really, really pissed off by blonde. And then as the, you know, as the days grew long and I sat in my sort of melancholic stupor, I realized that, I mean, it was exactly what you go for when you try to, when you watch a movie, like it was, Mm -hmm. it was great. I think we all should be reaching into Marilyn Monroe's uh, POV pussy for uh, answers to culture and uh, experiences of the heart. And one of my favorite things about Blonde that I thought was so beautiful was um, the depiction of like pure sexuality Outside of, like, the rapey stuff, it's really touching in that uh, beautiful CGI sequence of the bed becoming Niagara Falls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, reading these uh, two little French books, I felt, like, exactly like that with a hand pressed to my forehead and my mattress beneath me becoming a river. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This like, yeah, exactly, yeah. That was, like, one of the... I mean, I think that that's, like, one of the great cinematic images of, I mean what of the decade so far really like that's i think that was like the best image in the entire movie but like people were gasping when that image came up in the theater yeah i can't Um, imagine seeing it in a theater and i like i like that i watched it on netflix and was just like because it's like dumped on there i was able to convince my boyfriend at like midnight i was like hey like do you want to watch a three-hour marilyn monroe movie and like because it's like (laughs) has that uh sadistic like Hellmouth like Black Lodge portal which is the Netflix button you can just press it wherever right. you are and get sucked in uh, so inconspicuously yeah there I mean watching it on the big screen was interesting because like I could tell right away that it was like definitely made to be like what or like he had in mind like people watching it literally on their iPhones um because there are so many um there's so many close-ups and um, really, really kind of like these like pearlescent images that with like s- sort of like starkly lit geometry. So I could tell that he was going for like a certain sort of streamable experience um, 
I mean, if you ever get the chance to watch it in theaters, like I would, we were literally front row and it was, it was, it, it was, it was literally like having a train run over you. <laughs> like, I love that. I, I was shook. It's good to get a train run over you from time to time, honestly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to talk about uh, these two books is um, lately I've been thinking, uh, like I said, that I want to reach into the Marilyn Monroe pussy. And uh, of course, like erotica and uh, sexuality is a major part of my show. But I recently stumbled across these Annie or No books um, because she won the Nobel Prize, funny enough. Right. And so I wanted to give her a try. And I was... Uh, really taken aback by the candor and uh, kind of narcissistic pleading (laughs) sexuality of this book. So it immediately made me think of Story of O, and I uh, envisioned an episode that I could only have you on. So um, I thought we could talk a little bit about uh, Erno and Simple Passion first. Uh, This was published in 1991 in France, and uh, Erno is kind of famous for these short, like, auto-fictional novels, rarely over 110 pages. I think this one's only 60. And she writes these uh, very pleading, kind of cultural, contextually novels where it seems that the entire world is spinning in the background, but she lasers into uh, specific moments from her navel. And uh, this book details a single affair that she had with a foreigner in the late 80s for several months. And, uh, John, I'm dying to know what your initial impressions of this are. So, I mean, I literally read this last night. And, um, I mean, when I, like, I actually love the Nobel Prize in literature. I think it's really fun. I like I like it when there's a lot of drama around it. I like oh, it me when... Too. I like it when the judges are, like, accused of, like, racism and stuff. I think it's, like... It's, it's just funny to think of all of these, like, these sort of aristocratic Swedes sort of, like, I don't know, sort of just, like, flicking their handkerchiefs at each other. I think it's, like, I think it's funny. And I have to be honest, I actually think that they have actually pretty good taste. Like, it's, I'm always kind of surprised by who they, cho- who they choose. Um, I, I think them choosing Bob Dylan actually, like, gave them a lot of credibility. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a way to be sort of cynical and callous about it, but... I always have fun with it. But when I found out that that this like fucking autofiction bitch won that I hadn't heard of her before, but I, you know, I, I scrolled around about her and I was like, who the fuck is this autofiction French bitch? I am so tired of them. Um, I was a little bit disappointed and then really surprised that you, uh, you'd recommended Simple Passion. And um, when I, I mean, when I read it, I, wait, wait, wait. So sorry, rewind a little bit. Um, before I even read this book, I have, a or had a friend who had published an essay um in the kind of like sort of uh play i guess really plagiarizing annie Erno's voice sort of self-referentially um and this girl is someone who i've had sort of a grudge against ever since she was a bitch to me during covid and she called me a dirty (laughs) animal um and (laughs) so i read her i read this friend's essay and um because we haven't talked in a while i sent her some bitchy um messages um telling her that she was just bragging about having sex and (laughs) and this was all this is all the the accumulation of a of a long long years of long years of drama 
um she works for the new yorker now or like something like that um oh how wretched i know <laughs> and so so yeah so i definitely came in with a lot of bias against her um i mean but i like i loved it because it's art like it clearly it, she clearly has like um like i literally don't care what your political leanings are if like it seems like you have a genuine artistic spirit behind you um she i mean like i hate and resent the turn that sort of autofictional narcissism is taken in literature but i found hers to be so um so just i think just sort of glittering and um and honest about its kind of neurotic dishonesty in a way like oh totally I, I found that all to be like really captivating and i mean there were also a lot of really like brilliant observations um i mean the book opens with like oh are you still there <gasps> oh what does You should pop back in. These city slickers and their Wi-Fi. Is he back? Oh, I can hear you now. Hi. Okay, great. Um, did the recording continue? Yeah, it's still recording. Um, okay. so you were just about to say where the book starts. Oh yeah. So it starts with this um this paragraph about pornography. Um, and I was just saying that I'd love to like just read an entire book of her like sadly ruminating over watching porn um oh, yeah yeah um but i mean i like i i, I loved it i i think i think like desperately desperately navel gazing women should write more books at this level no absolutely well the thing that is so inspiring to me about this uh whole book and it's a sort of a creative process is that annie or no seems to fundamentally realize the uh truth of female sexuality which is that she longs to have uh the world annihilated with inside of her own vagina like she wants like the second impact to like happen inside of her pussy and like yeah. <laughs> not only obliterate her entire sense of being but also the world itself and um during the course of this uh, short novel she uh falls desperately in love with this foreigner who's uh you know taking her basically and during Looks this like process a exactly like during this process uh basically the entire world outside of an exterior to her slows to a standstill and like ceases to exist and uh all of a sudden her entire universe is made up of waiting for the phone and uh, <laughs> the dresses that she purchases to impress him and the pile of clothes on the bed that he Mopping leaves the and the sound of his car. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> I mean, it really put me in a headspace of um, erotic desperation that, um, or not even a, like erotic, but also like kind of, this, there's like this like kind of like self-cuckolded, romantic longing at the center of the book where mm -hmm. she knows that she is like kind of she's you know it's like she's in an affair with this man and is both um is both kind of like sort of disgusted by it but also sort of attracted to these sort of social limitations that have been placed on this relationship which um i found like to be really oh no you dropped out again
Oh, just gotta wait. Oh, just gotta wait. Oh, just gotta wait. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, sorry. I, I, I definitely think it's something to do with my internet. Um, but hopefully it doesn't happen again. Yeah, hopefully not. Uh, I mean, we went for like an hour, uh, and it was yeah. fine before. So hopefully it'll just uh, start behaving again. <laughs> yeah, fuck. It needs to be like beat into submission. Um. Um, yeah, you were uh, talking about, like, the limitations on their relationship, and I, I guess it's important to mention that this man that she's sleeping with is married. Oh, my God. Married, yeah. <laughs> he's from, where did she say he's from? Like, did she, did she actually say Ukraine? Or uh, She never specifies, like Slavic? <laughs> but it's definitely, like, some, like, politically straught, like, yeah, vaguely like, uh... developing nation, I guess. <laughs> Right, like essentially like a European cowboy kind of. And he has these he he drives kind of a very expensive and ostentatious car and seems to sort of have this like very sort of pompous ego. But all of this is like spelled out in such like thin descriptions and you really only get like these peripheral glimpses of him because she's really, really obsessed with her own pussy. Oh, yeah. She writes specifically that this is not a novel about him. She's not writing a novel about him. She is writing a novel about her own sensory experience of him. Like, and uh, he, I think none, almost none of their actual sexual interactions are described. They're only Um, referenced, like, post-text, basically. Like, the entire, like essence of his character is completely vanished yeah yeah he he almost has no character and i sort of i mean i'm trying to think like who i was even sort of picturing the entire time i was picturing like um i was picturing like a um like a kind of um god who's that guy who plays like hawkeye in the marvel movies do you know who that actor is? Um, Jeremy something. Jeremy Renner? Yeah, that's is it. That... You got it. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, picturing him for some reason. Like, this kind of, like, dog-tired loser wearing, like, really expensive clothes and, like, obnoxiously wearing sunglasses everywhere. Like, that's kind of the impression that I got. Yeah, I didn't find this uh, male figure to be especially, like, um, erotic or, like, uh, sexually stimulating mm-hmm. himself. Um but I do deeply relate with Annie's uh, worldview of uh, just yeah. how just how much, like, one point of sexuality can completely reconfigure your universe. Right. Have yeah. you ever experienced anything like this before? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I mean, the first, I guess the second guy that I ever fell in love with, I was you know, the first summer that I was away from him and we were, like, experimenting as, like, young gay men with sort of an open relationship, I was constantly subsumed with these feelings. And she describes, like, she describes, like, being hateful of of anyone who tries to call her that isn't this man. And I completely understood what she was saying. Like, oh, yeah. that hatred you feel for, like, your mom for calling you when you're waiting for a call from your boyfriend like (laughs) (laughs) like that that I definitely I definitely understood and also kind of like in the absence of your boyfriend the way the world starts to kind of spin around you in this really desperate tornado and you like replace you were place your boyfriend with this kind of like egoistic vision of yourself that you sort of pummel yourself with yeah 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 
that I really found, I found really, really beautiful. Well, something that's so powerful about this is it really feels almost like a chivalric romance or some, like, metaphysical poetry because yeah. the way Annie or Note kind of describes this uh, demotion of herself into the uh, center of a sexual hurricane in which everything is constantly lashing against her and the world is reduced to a bunch of shapeless, formless colors. I get that so much because I feel like true, simple passion, as it were, is something so in- indescribably powerful that when you actually experience it, you really do become like a bizarre hall of mirrors of yourself inside of the tornado. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And she has like a really, she has a really sharp sense of humor that again is always pointed at herself. Um, I mean, I'm just like flipping through my phone right now, but there's this one line that like really made me chuckle where she says, one night the thought of getting myself screened for AIDS occurred to me. At least he would have left me that. I know. <laughs> She's like, She's, like, pissed off that he hasn't, like, completely destroyed her and, like, left her, um, left her just, like, crumpled up in biological goo. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, I know. I, I long for that, too. Um, one of my favorite passages she writes is, I would only ever be certain of one thing, his desire or lack of desire. The only undeniable truth could be glimpsed by looking at his penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the penis is the as as the truth detector. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I've also like, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like the experience of on one hand being in Annie or No's situation, I've most I mostly feel like I've actually been in this in the situation of the boyfriend of the beloved the interesting um, where like i mean I've, I've experienced both sides of the coin but like um i mean what how did i describe these 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 bottoms earlier like sort of oh the... yeah you, i think you described them on the patreon as like um like animatronic assholes or something like that yeah yeah or just like who are really really desperate and can't be left alone um and the way that like with the way that how like when your when your penis is turned into like a truth detector for your like devotion to another person the way that like that female gaze can be so like withering and intrusive and like unsexy like there is something like profoundly kind of like dowdy about her like i actually like wouldn't be surprised if she kind of like scared him away or like stopped being sexy literally because she's just kind of a self-destructive person oh i mean i definitely have uh, fallen victim to that same path where it's like you become so obsessive and your entire world is so melted by desire that uh it ends up becoming like a toxic chemical burn on your skin and like makes you like a deformed like sewer troll to the other person because uh these world-altering passions and desires that are so difficult to make tangible and real. Like, she says the only way you can ever physically see it is, like, in, like, the lack of or the erect penis, right? So, like, if everything else is just this immaterial vortex, when you start noticing it in another person, it does become sickening and repulsive. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I've been I've been in that situation too where I was I was the Annie I was the Annie or no, did you say egosexual? I really like that term. I hope yeah, I, I did. Was, 
Yeah, I think you did say that. <laughs> like, um, pardon me. Um, I, I've been the Annie or no egosexual who was like cock blocking the relationship and was cock blocking sex because I was like so desperate for sort of confirmation from the other person. Like I've totally been in this in this headspace before, and um, I think it's really I think it's really observant of the Nobel committee to have nominated her. Like it's very perfect actually. Like this, like, you know, people talk about BPD art hose. BPD art hose need to read Annie or no. Like they'll <laughs> they'll feel invaded by her. I know. This is a uh, really cutting stuff and because she has a sense of humor about it and um, the gift of hindsight, she's able to kind of turn um, her deep Shakespearean longing for this uh, maybe Middle Eastern or like whatever Becky Stani guy like into a, you know, she's able to turn it into like, you know, something a little critical and cutting. And I, I love that, but um, it, it's just so funny to me how deep she goes into herself. Like, oh, yeah. it really reveals the truth that extraordinary longing and passion is never about someone else. It's about yourself all the time. It's a completely <laughs> selfish act to oh, yeah. love someone so much. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, she she's also, like, um, sort of prudishly resistant to psychoanalysis, which I found very, uh, it, like, kind of tickled me. Because same with sociology you, too, she completely yeah. rejects all of all schools of thought. Yeah, and she gives she gives some shade towards feminism at one point. I remember I don't remember exactly what she said, but she like definitely throws throws shade in that direction. Um, but yeah, there's this there's this passage. Um, I mean, I wish a lot of people like de psychoanalyze themselves. I think that like psychology is like another degenerated religion today, and like. It just has like totally like its vocabulary has completely uh, deranged everybody. Um, but she says like, as for the origins of my passion, I have no intention of searching for them in my early history, which one reconstitutes with the help of a psycho of a psychoanalyst, or in my recent history, or for that matter, in the cultural standards governing emotion, which have influenced me since childhood. Gone with the Wind, uh, Phaedra, or the songs of Edith Piaf, who are just as decisive as the Oedipus Complex. I do not wish to explain my passion. That would be, uh, that would imply that it was a mistake or some disorder I need to justify. I just want to describe it. Um, I really think that now is the time for people to get less analytical and more descriptive because people, oh, so true. I mean, people have gotten like, I mean, the take the like literally like the, the sort of, I feel like if we're going to like, I don't know, I'm about to psychoanalyze takes now, but please um, do. I mean, I, I feel I feel like the take is itself a form of kind of like it's attempting to sort of like wither psych like psychologically wither your opponents. But the problem is, is that like the world we live in today is like truly alien to the human experience in a lot of ways. And people underestimate like except for I think maybe like m like young millennials and Zoomers are like sort of, you know, getting grips with it now. But like we need people to be like just physically describing this world we live in like we need like honest physical descriptions of our psychology of like our like psychic experience and of like the physical world around us because there's no fucking language for it like we we don't need to be analyzed we need our world like rendered for us like 
Netflix isn't fucking doing it. Like I can, <laughs> I don't rec- I don't recognize our world in Netflix. Like it's very difficult to like find anything that accurately describes or makes this world like just legible. I so agree, and I feel as if the entire process of trying to endlessly recreate our world in these really poorly constructed like fast meals on you know stuff like netflix or however it's being made uh and then being made into sense through takes online political discourse tucker carlson the whole thing it's nonsense i feel like these people have never they've never been moved by something before like i think about some of the relationships i've have that you know, we're serving simple passion, Annie or no, on the <laughs> runway. And it's like, yeah. those were so foundationally traumatic and horrifying to me and so earth-shaking and pulverizing that yeah. it makes you feel alive. Like, to have your own guts, like, so rearranged by, you know, another person, not literally. <laughs> but, yeah, know. no, well, that's the thing is that heartbreak is, like, literally more traumatic than rape. Oh, are you kidding? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's actually, like, no comparison between the two. Like, and that was one of my early disagreements with, like, rape discourse, which is the fact that, like, literally completely imaginary events in your life, like, heartbreak can be ten times more pulverizing than, like, getting dry humped on a couch. I mean, Bjork knows that. Like, she, like, she she lied and said that Lars von Trier raped her, which is just not true. Like, (laughs) obviously not. not. But then, like, her most pained, like, horrified art has never been about sexual violence it's been about her selfish breakup with matthew barney that she was like very clearly responsible for oh yeah oh yeah definitely um yeah no i mean it's it's interesting because i i don't know like i think that there have been kind of like great works of art made out of like the investigation of a rape or something but i I mean, I can't really think of, like, any, like, great movies or something that are, like, about the trauma of being raped because ultimately, like, I mean, unless it's, like, truly brutal and violating, like, well, no, there have been great great works of art made about being raped, but, like... But it's never from the perspective of the... Yeah, exactly. It's never about that process, like... It's never about that specifically, right? And, like... The best rape films to me are... Last House on the Left by Wes yes. Craven and which is funny, which is a comedy. Yeah, it's it's like so funny that it actually becomes like extremely disturbing because it's funny. Oh yeah, and like I mean, also like um, I mean, I think of like even like James Elroy, who you know has like also made a legacy off of like not rapes, but like male monomania and like societal monomania about like amending these transgressions and like. That ultimately, I mean, like, speaking about Oedipus, it's, like, Oedipus is literally about, like, social monomania and, like, the way that, like, fake plagues can destroy a kingdom. Like, that's, you know, so people have to, like, kind of wake up a little bit, like, sort of, and realize that, like, getting your heart broken is going to destroy you a lot more than, like, getting, like, getting your, like, pussy non-consensually like <laughs> did diddled by a dick like it yeah <laughs> i don't know having just... like you're being exposed to the imaginary world of passions and then having to reconcile it in reality is infinitely more painful than anything else in the world um i'm never going to get over uh about three men in my life who so thoroughly 
moved me uh, through sex, like Annie or no, that I just simply will never be able to get over it. Three of them in particular, I will live my shadow in for the rest of my life, as this stupid French bitch does too. Like, she, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is worth noting that she has written this novel, like, three times. She, like, this year, she published a series of diaries written about the affair. And, like, there's another one after that as well. Like, you can kind of imagine, because, you know, she's kind of like, a, you know, this cloying, like, you know artistically minded woman who like probably has only had like three of these extremely uh, evocative uh, affairs before you can totally imagine that like she's never going to get over it um oh yeah and it's become the great piece of art to her she like writes in this really good uh section i was drawn to statues of naked men in them i oh, recognized yeah. the shape of his yeah. shoulders his loins his penis and especially the slight hollow following the inner curve of the thigh up to the groin I was unable to tear myself away from Michelangelo's David, filled with wonder that a man, and not a woman, had portrayed the beauty of a male body so sublimely. Even if this could be explained by the oppressed condition of women, it seemed to me that something had been irretrievably lost. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I have always had this weird... Ah, this is, like, actually, like, I've never, like, confessed this to somebody, but I've always had this, like, weird kind of hallucination that, like, even though I know that physically... Like, it's literally the opposite that people have grown, like, physically larger over time. I've always had this weird hallucination that, like, with each success successive generation, people just, like, shrink in size and become these, like, shriveled shadows of the past. Like, and, I mean, I think that this sort of, like, misplaced erotic nostalgia for, like, a glorious, like, utopian perfection is, like, such a precious thing to hold dear like it's a it, it's like a doorway to to like I think a lot of a lot of like erotic uh like a, a lot of erotic imagination like comes from comes from that sort of like Apollonian search absolutely and uh it takes like a a real self-awareness and confidence and um Apollonian's foresight into the future to be able to turn your invisible heartbreak into such a beautiful little novel like this.
So let's talk about story of O. Oh, yeah. Story of O. Wow. So Um. for me, this novel (laughs) was very foundational to me because uh, this came from my uh, big independent research when I was uh, 18 going on 19. It was uh, during the summer of my... A freshman year of college where I decided to live um, with only three other guys in my 150-year-old uh, fraternity house over the summer. We got, like, reduced rent, and I imagined that the whole summer I was going to be spending it doing independent literary research into erotica. It was really deranged. Oh, amazing. But I well, read... What all did you read for that? Well, I read um, the entire Marquis de Sade. I read Juliet. I read, uh, you know... 180 Days of Sodom. I, I think that's what he called right? How many days is, is it? Anyway. Yeah, I think 100 I think 180. <laughs> I don't remember. 120 Days of Sodom. Oh, okay, that's, that's it. Is. And then I read um, you know, Julia and Justine. Um, I read Incest, I read Philosophy in the Bedroom, I read the entire 50 Shades of Grey trilogy. Oh, I read beautiful. a bunch of Anne Rice and this was the very first I read because a uh, dorm a dorm mate, some other girl in my dorm hall recommended it to me because her psychologist recommended it to her. Oh my know? god, I love that. I do too. I'm like, what's the psychologist is fucking recommending story of oh? Oh my god. I would bang that psychologist. So true. Um this is a one of the first BDSM novels. It's from nineteen fifty something and uh the uh, author uh, used a pen name, uh, Pauline Riage. Uh, it's actually written by a stodgy literary translator named uh, Anne DeClos. Um And I oh, loved yeah. it the first time I read it, and it's been a really foundational uh, foothold for me in art. But what was your impression? Um, I mean, I loved it through and through. Again, like, the best thing about it was that it was short. Um, and, like, again, I'd been kind of, like, in sort of, like, a reading desert for a while. So... Um, I was getting, okay, I had, like, a bunch of really, again, like, I was, like, hallucinating while I was reading this book because it was, like, opening up my mind in so many ways. Um, I kept getting Dario Argento vibes from it because there were all of these, these, um, like, mysterious hands reaching out from the ether to, like, diddle her or, like, hand her her breakfast or something. And there's this interesting dynamic in the book where... So the main character is this photographer and she follows her lover into this kind of BDSM boot camp almost where she's kind of put in the position of being this kind of like she's like kind of like a like a like a server like a like a like a butler almost for these men who can just sort of like in sexually invade her whenever they want and there are like all of these rules and um she has to sort of wear very specific things and perfume herself and wear these bodices and all of it, and the bodices all have these textures and are made of these uh like fabrics that i like literally have never read before i don't even know what half of the fabric material used in this book was like mm-hmm. i don't know what these words were but it was all this luxurious french fabric um and she's constantly getting like whipped and put in her place and um she where was i going with this but um yeah she basically um submits herself to her lover's whim and sort of fulfills this image of herself as this kind of as this kind of prostitute who 
I mean, it almost felt like a search for God in a way. Like it felt very religious. Yes. It felt, right? Like it felt like she was searching for this omnipotent eye that would like punish and penetrate her and render her into like pure matter and like pure spirit. Yes. It was like. Yes, yes, yes. You have it exactly it was... right. And Susan Sontag agrees with you. Um, the quote that I wanted to read is that uh, Sontag writes, Religion is probably, after sex, the second oldest resource which human beings have available to them for blowing their minds. Um, <laughs> she was writing that in particular about Story of O, which she uh, views to be this, like, celestial, um, like, wormhole that one can travel through that will uh, rip apart your entire body and reduce it to, like, um, the most predisposed horny sex nerves and nothing else aside from that and the whole process of the book is like you said this um very like willowing fabric laced like plush um complete annihilation of the soul um until it is a literally pure concentrated sexual mass and it is a totally religious experience yeah no i mean i like I kind of, I kind of feel like, like, there's, it's interesting because, like, there's, we actually talked about that, like, Deleuze book a little bit. on Cruelness and Cruelty, yeah. Yeah, Cruelness and Cruelty, which is, like, a fascinating read, but I've always, like, had, like, weird problems with it. Like, I just, like. Yeah, we like, both agreed we... that we like the the Massoc that he features in the book much more than the actual philosophy. Right, right, exactly. Um, And... Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because she she shares with Annie Erno this sort of desperate need to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like and again, like in, in Annie Erno, she doesn't have somebody to look at her, so she has to look at herself. But in Story of O, she's like surrounded by all of these men and like constantly sort of threatened by the gaze of these sort of keepers who are looking at her through holes in the wall and she is sort of buttressed in and sort of like her limits are sort of defined in this very interesting way and yeah it feels like this in this really i mean it's sexual it's 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 obviously like an erotic experience but ultimately it feels like this book is like trying to comprehend like what it means to be seen and like what it means to like be observed by like an erotic gaze and how difficult it actually is to discover joy and ecstasy and like heroic it is to discover joy and ecstasy Mm -hmm. from that oppressive like from that uh, that oppressive force oh you said it beautifully um there's a good passage that touches on all of this and uh Basically, the plot of the story is that um, this character who's only referred to as O throughout the novel, um, she's a beautiful fashion photographer, of course, because like you said, this is a fucking Jalo movie. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. of course, she's a fashion photographer. It is, it is a Jalo book. Yeah, she basically like follows um, the, uh, she submits entirely to the uh, whims of her lover, Renee, who uh, basically forces her through a glamorous BDSM boot camp in a, uh, French chateau um and uh, it becomes more and more delirious as uh, he starts lending her out to more and more people um but th- this passage i wanted to read it says 
As a child, O had read a biblical text in red letters on the white wall of a room in Wales, where she had lived for two months, a text such as the Protestants often inscribe in their houses. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. No, O told herself, this isn't true. What is fearful is to be cast out at the hands of the living God. Oh, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's... I mean, so, okay, so, like, this is one of the things that I think that is so, like, cucking about a lot of the Tratcaths and a lot of the sort of, like, Catholic conversation right now is because it does feel like people are looking for this kind of, like, BDSM experience of being um, tyrannically observed by a god and sort of kept in and sort of bodiced up and they Put need the corset yes yeah exactly they need their they need their limits defined they need a ceremony to tell them where like their perception ends and where the world begins and yeah this this book is like the i mean she later befriends one of her models i think her, her name is jacqueline right that's right um she befriends jacqueline who kind of resists this kind of BDSM world a little bit. Um, and it her the, the narrator remains unfazed, but I think at that point you realize that this, I mean, if it wasn't already obvious, this book is trying to go for, it's trying to sort of poeticize an experience larger than just sort of like, it's not just trying to like, you know, like jack you off. It's like, it's, it's, it has a broader vision at hand. Of course. And, yeah. and, yeah, I think that, I think that she is, I think that she's like sort of searching for this sort of all, this like all encompassing gaze that ends up sort of like shoveling her off into the desert. And that's because she's like kind of like marked by Cain almost like she's literally like branded and at one point has like a ring. Um, oh, God yes uh sort of she she's she's pierced through her vagina and they like hook up a chain to it by oh a, and like... in order to pierce her pussy like in order to like get the ring through her labia they have to use a fucking hammer oh yeah <laughs> oh god yeah um i mean it, <laughs> yeah i mean if if there's if there's any if there's any testament to the hermaphroditic hermaphroditic nature however you pronounce that word uh nature of, of humanity it's the fact that like vaginal or like clitoral pain in books and movies has always deeply deeply pained me oh me too um like the antichrist scissors antichrist, and stuff the, the clip the little clip <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah you're right like this is this is such a like a holy object it's like so celestial and um like i was talking about this with jocko in a twitter space once actually and we were talking a little bit about how like everyone could do with a little bit of BDSM. Like, everyone could do with a little bit of, um, like, like sadism and... Yeah. Why am I pronouncing it that way? Sadism and masochism. Like, it's not necessarily about, like, the Fifty Shades of Grey, like, contractually defined kind of thing. And it's more about being able to slip into either one of those roles to sort of exercise these uh, deep-set human urges that are kind of conditional to our being like we yeah. all have violence and a desire to receive violence and a desire to both annihilate and be annihilated like within ourselves and like one of the best ways of uh processing that is by performing it in sex and like as we discussed in the or no novel these sexual rights have a quality of 
obliterating the world and making you the center of it. And so when you stage like theatrical reproductions of violence with a, a lover, what you're doing is like you're actually like doing true like God-fearing holy worship that summates the entire like future and past of the human species into one beautiful act. Oh yeah. It's well so like it's Sorry, interesting. Is that insane? <laughs> no, I literally I literally could not agree more. Like I think that's brilliant. Like I you know, I keep I I I was sort of thinking a lot when I was reading this about how on like on Perfume Nationalist Jack has talked a little bit about his experience like editing editing these like erotic novels and needing to put these sort of like consent passages in the books to sort of make them politically correct, I guess. But um, I mean, this book, there's a lot of talk about consent, actually. And what was interesting about Story of O is that, like, its obsession with consent revealed the entire premise of consent to be deeply sadistic. Of course. Um, and the book, the book didn't didn't reject this. Like, this wasn't a case where the book was merely throwing out consent to please you. Consent was absorbed into like the erotic matrix kind of and was part of the thorough mind fuck you know like it was it was it was it was and i've experienced this before actually like with a with like an older man who was like very very skilled when it was the first instance where like i really really realized that true consent that like consent itself is an expression of statism like the the or the entire like kind of the entire the entire premise of consent is inherently a sadistic premise and it comes from this deeply almost sort of like god-fearing nerve in human sexuality like it, it it's 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 interesting because like well, it's I think deeply most... humiliating to consent exactly, to something to consent yeah that's yeah. so true <laughs> like you know Dworkin has very suddenly become quite talked about on everything like out of I think, honestly, it's because of ContraPoints bringing her up in, like, the, I think, the Envy video a while ago. and um, The great video. Yeah, it was fantastic. And since then, I read Intercourse, and I loved it. And, um, you know, Dworkin writes, like, in particular about how, um, like, this, like, typically, like, evil nature of sex. But what people never talk about is that she writes also about, like, the communion, which is turning the... Um, innately abject and repulsive elements of sex and like what is you know humiliating and debasing and turning that into a, like a beautiful expression and like a translation of true love and uh, a victory of compassion and sensitivity towards one another and I so get that like reading story of oh where it's like in that deeply debasing acceptance because they ask her every single time for everything they do to her She's always allowed to reject her lover and leave, but she never does um, because um, she's turning this violence into a, a deeply compassionate act and oh, yeah, a yeah. physical token of true love. She says, um, she says for uh, for a long time he had this is uh, this is like after one of the, her passages where she ruminates about like ecstasy and God, by the way. But she says um, for a long time he had wanted to prostitute her and he was delighted to feel that the pleasure he was deriving was even greater than he had hoped and that it bound him and him to her all the more as it bound her to him all the more so because through it she could be more humiliated and ravaged since she loved him. She could not help loving whatever derived from him and. Yeah, I I think that sort of 
that that ex like consent and sort of the balancing that balance that, that that balancing act of of choosing to be defiled is like i mean in a way it's sort of this like it's this kind of like radical argument for like free will almost it's like if literally if you can like if like by the grace of god you can like choose to be like punished and ha punished and had like i mean there's there's like a i don't know there's something very transcendent about that i think oh yeah because when you truly love someone and you know you're so captivated by their being that their most stray detritus and flotsam becomes uh you know beautiful artifacts of their existence that you worship oh my god do you have you not felt that way about someone before? Because I feel like uh, the three men oh, no, I have. that I endlessly it's, it's... reference on this show, I'm like, uh, I would, like, oh. <laughs> eat... I definitely have. I would, like, do, like, the Samuel Delaney, I'm like, I'm going to eat your fucking fingernails. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, yeah, actually. Like, I mean, it's interesting, like, when you fall that deeply... I don't know if I should call... I don't know. I don't know if it's... it's it, do you know what it I is, love? I know what love is. Whatever, no whatever idea. that is. But, like... When you when you fall into that vortex, you begin to experience the full spectrum of sexual insanity and you begin to like understand like why someone would want to like eat someone's shit. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you know, you 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 get you sort of, you know, I'm I'm not really into scat, but like you begin to on your 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 the window of your sexuality begins to open and you start to like see someone's like perverted filth as like this sort of like godlike thing um, the altar in which you kneel yes yeah i mean it's you know it's it's frightening um and you know it's i mean i feel like i've definitely been like deeply wounded by a lot of these experiences and hold hold a lot i have i i've like kept a lot of sort of like romantic paranoia because of these experiences um and like i feel like i like i'm like naturally a very like kind of like trusting person almost to a fault um so yeah i mean it's it this book honestly is like making me want to throw myself into the furnace again yeah right like, i know because <laughs> no one no one feels this way about anyone these days like yeah, I, yeah. I don't have like I don't think I have any friends in my life beyond myself who have ever felt this hopelessly devoted to someone. Like I I wish that people could experience what deranged navel gazing French women and the typical, you know, homosexual does. Because when you feel this insane about someone like I said, it opens the curtains to the stage of yeah. humanity in which you can see the entire movement of our species in one gesture. Well, so do you know what was also one of the most erotic aspects of this book is the fact that she keeps telling Renee that she loves him and that he keeps telling her that he loves her. And um, that is, I mean, it sounds kind of weepy and weird, but like, to be honest, one of the most intense erotic experiences that I've had in recent memory like the orgasm was achieved like at the point where i let go and was like i love you and then i never saw the guy again oh you know like it like and it's not like i have like any you know like sense of like heartbreak over that but like that's one of the 
that's one of i i feel like one of the weakness or, or i don't know one of the one of the weaknesses of 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 sexuality today especially sexuality among these kind of like bottomless holes that you run into in la is the fact that like there is no risk of emotional involvement i mean it's literally like in that in in, in nymphomaniac when her friend is like she's like the the secret ingredient to sex is love and <laughs> yeah like the threat of like the threat of like falling in love with somebody and falling into that vortex to me is yeah it's like the thing it's the thing you know and that should be you should you should feel threatened that you are about to fall in love with somebody as you are approaching orgasm that should really be and if you aren't reaching that precipice then your sexuality is as as you said egosexual like it is it's it's just pure egosexuality and you have to jump into the other person's vortex even if it just means for a moment yeah so true i watch a lot of straight porn and uh I mean, obviously it's porn, so it's, like, you know, quite obviously performative. But I've always... Okay, great, I'm gonna get misogynistic uh, accusations for this one. But there is, like, an emptiness and soullessness in that, like, weeping, screaming, crying, like, that kind of thing. And I just wonder, like, are women at all, like, feeling any of these like grand threads of a history when like do they feel like love bubbling up in them when they approach orgasm i i mean like that's like honestly like one of the great questions right that like are I mean, women these two real? novels are proof that it's possible <laughs> but you have to be really yeah. fucking crazy like you have to be yeah, like yeah yeah exactly. you have to be like literally lena dunham you have to be like pauline riage or you have to be annie or no or else it's like not happening or maybe dasha necrosova yeah, well, it it i mean this is the other thing is that like it takes a very like in order for like a woman woman to achieve love she actually does have to like self eject from like the female social like womb you know like she has to like i mean i don't know if you ever experienced this with like with female friends but the way that there is so much gasping and knee jerking whenever like one of the friends threatens to sort of like leave the leave the nest you know like fly the nest or something and how like everyone sort of tries to pull her back in and sabotage the relationship and like you know it like yeah, it's it's sort of like this i remember when i uh, when i was in college like the du- dua lipa's new rules had just come out so all of these girls were like really feeling empowered about like sabotaging <laughs> each other's relationships and like highlighting how like violent and like oppressive it was to have a boyfriend and i mean i got new rules i tell him yeah exactly like that's actually you're like, so that's... right that becoming an anthem is really demonic it is. It is really demonic. And I mean, I like the song, actually. Of like, course. I'll listen to the song and dance to it. But like, it, there was a particular relish that I saw women take in that song. And I feel like it, like, it became this thing where it's like, I mean, I had this, I had this friend, this, this Russian girl who had this kind of like ugly fat boyfriend who she had crazy, wild, passionate, romantic sex with. And it drove all the other women crazy. Like, it drove them insane that she, like, 
wasn't her her dedication her first and foremost dedication wasn't to like this like this 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 sort of like feminist this fem cell community of women who hate men they were like completely like just you know like they, they were they were so scandalized by the fact that like a woman could possibly not depend on other women you know and um yeah i mean it takes a particular kind of feminine heroism to actually like reach across the aisle and dedicate herself to another man or to, honestly anybody that like it, it take it, it it takes up for anybody i mean gay, gay men are the same way because i honestly do think that i mean yeah you, you, among the bottomless holes in la you mentioned and like um I, I guess my exposure to that is like mostly like the the gay men that i hang out with in tokyo are all like horrifically picky sometimes i like wonder like if i'm just like really sick or something because it's like i'm just not that picky yeah anyway, i'm sorry that was a that was a no, sidebar well, that's but... interesting that's that's interesting because like i i actually do feel like i don't i don't have like a specific taste in men but i feel like i am like kind of weirdly picky about them um yeah, so but you seem to meet plenty of them so you're not that picky i guess yeah i mean i'll make it work designers but like in the <laughs> end like when i don't know it's not like here's what i think right it's like yeah. As as two men, the odds that you know both of us aren't gonna be able to get a keep it up, it's like pretty low, right? So I'm like pretty yeah. down to try it with most people, <laughs> but not all. Okay, definitely not all. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm. I mean, I don't know. It's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. I feel. I feel like I'm on the threshold of a new romantic and erotic adventure, and. I mean, this book has really sort of, like, pulled the plug on that. I'm, like, I'm ready to throw myself into the world. Yeah, well, I just think that this is um, such a beautiful distillation of, of what it truly means to uh, be possessed and to submit yourself into the other and to feel passion and love. And it uh, includes all elements of horror from it, like the uh, feminine bird nest cult you were just speaking of is also depicted oh, yeah. as she's like <laughs> you know frowned upon by her like model friends and like uh even in like in the Erno, like uh she has to like reject the entire society around her in order for uh, her to fully engage in her passions and um right you know these themes have been coming up a, a few times on the season like when i talked about utara hikaru's album deep river with zane like um you know we kind of like wondered like where where does the line end? Like, how does one balance this uh, total devotion to another and experiential phantasms of pleasure? Like, how does one balance that with, like, living a productive life? And I, I still don't know. But I, uh, this one passage of Story of a really uh, kind of uh, describes everything I, I feel about the whole thing. Would she ever dare to tell him that no pleasure, no joy, no figment of her imagination could ever compete with the happiness she felt at the way he used her with such utter freedom, at the notion that he could do anything with her, that there was no limit, no restriction in the manner with which on her body he might search for pleasure, her absolute certainty that when he touched her, whether it was to fondle or flog her, when he ordered her to do something it was solely because he wanted to, her certainty that all he cared about was his own desire, so overwhelmed and gratified, oh, that each time she saw new proof of it, 
and often even when it merely occurred to her in thought, a cape of fire, a burning breastplate extending from the shoulders to the knees descended upon her. Yeah. Okay, literally this entire time I was reading this book, I was like down with the will to power and up with the will to slavery. <laughs> like, Yes, exactly. People talk too much about the will to power. People need to talk more about the will to slavery because... Like this shit is em- this shit is empowering, <laughs> like or like I don't even know what to call it. It's like accepting um, the burning breastplate of slavery. I think yeah. might take much more willpower and like a proximity to God and awareness of the phantasm of reality to submit to slavery than it is to just you know what a power <laughs> you know right exactly and to like to to be this kind of like sort of sort of trad cath- cabinet making tryhard who is like you know clandestinely molesting his kids on the side because he thinks that it turns them into men or something like i'm sorry but like submit yourself a little bit and maybe you'll actually find something true and beautiful yeah like listen i have been worn out used up thrown aside put into the trash can, eaten up, vomited out so many times in this fucking country. And, like, I can guarantee you, like, no cabinet-making man could ever <laughs> stomach even 25 seconds of a basic Chi-Chi encounter. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, that's the thing, is that, like, one of the things that I noticed early on in living in LA is that like all of the homeless people here believe in God and Hmm. like you can like, like Hmm. you can just say, yeah, I know it's like, Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, you can sort of say like, God bless you to a homeless guy here. And he'll like, be like really touched and like, be like i mean it's i don't know it's like kind of weird it's not like i like i like mostly avoid homeless people and i'm not like overly charitable with them because like you can't be in order to survive basically but um i mean yeah it feels like it feels like there's a reason why dante went through satan's asshole before he made it to heaven like he had to plumb the like depths of depravity and like soul sickness in order to sort of reach the other side and people really like reject the darkness like i mean that's one of the worst things about like like all you trad casts really need to understand that like religion in america completely rejects and dis and like erases like the darkness of the human soul and you are you are literally soul sick like you're soul sick if you don't acknowledge that half of you and you're a fucking deranged lunatic and far, far, far more indulgent than any homosexual could ever be. Like, sorry. This, yeah, like, sorry. the slave is much closer to God than you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a- actually, like, okay, give because, it a pun. <laughs> like, the world is, like, allegedly, like, slave to God, right? Like, I, I feel like this is why I end up liking judaism so much is because like they like fear god like they're like i I guess like what catholics are kind of supposed to as well but then you know they always like turn back to like he'll forgive you he loves you jews have no promise of that they don't know what's coming when they die and god wasn't very nice to them when they were like in the old testament like 
I feel like the beaten, battered slave who accepts their position in the world and then embraces it as a burning, beautiful testament of will, like, and of proof of time on Earth and that each, like, flagellation of the whip and, like, each uh, inflicted injury, that's, like, a proof of uh, the existence of this temporal mirage. Is that, like, not much more holy than, like, oh, being in a monogamous, is. like, marriage with God? Yeah, I mean, no, actually, like, because the thing is, is that, like, they, like, the 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 Jews, like, came up with a perfect sort of celestial image of this, like, material world, like, and, like, I mean, in, like, I mean, I talked a little bit about, like, the, my, my Gnostic adventures on the Sirens episode. Uh -huh. I don't like talk, it's, like, undignified to talk about religion, uh, talk about your personal religion, um, especially online, but I'll do it anyway. But like, I mean, like you have to like under, you have to like wed yourself to like the illusion of reality. I think like you have to like kind of submit to it. And like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know like how most people perceive the world, but I really do like kind of see this world as like very like evil and demented. And I don't yeah, know how too. people, I don't know how people, like, I don't know how people, like, try to, like, I don't know how they, like, find these very, like, um, sanitized sort of, like, Christian workbook, Sunday school kind of images of the world. And I think that it's, I think that it is a form of weakness, actually. Like, it's, like, deeply, deeply sick and, like, not wise. Like, I'm sorry, but you, like, hand flapping, like, a fucking faggot online about, like, god like sorry babe but like <laughs> you're married to a tyrant like <laughs> what what is um what does uh justine say in melancholia she says um the world is evil the earth earth is she goes earth is, is evil <laughs> no right. one will mourn for it <laughs> she goes very quietly earth is evil yeah <laughs> life is only on earth but not for long <laughs> It tastes like ashes. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, I mean, God. Yeah, I mean, mo more. I try more, more, more. Online Catholics need to understand the the sublime spiritual vision of Lars von Trier, and more like, online Catholics need to be BDSM faggots who are using me as the furniture they allege that they're making. <laughs> exactly, and like, because I'm sorry, y'all, but evil. And life is only on Earth. <laughs> life is only on Earth and not for long, bitches. Like... Oh, my God. Well, usually I, I have to ask at the end of the episode, what philosophy are we taking this? You know, I've, I've summoned you out of the gloop and soup of the human heart from the post-apocalypse. And now we're rebuilding the world together. Um, but I, I feel like I, I have, you know, quite a, a clear vision. Is there anything else you'd want to add to the philosophy for the new world, John? I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I think a lot about that Oscar Wilde quote, I guess, where he says something along the lines of like, where he's like, we're all rolling around in the gutter, darling, but I'm looking at the stars. And I mean, I think that like a sort of, a sort of, a sort of shared vision of our, our common wretchedness is something that is um is should should be should be more should be more valued and if you don't feel that 
um, I would prescribe an old, an old fashioned, maybe spanking session and maybe even a labial piercing. I swear to God, I ha- like these people need like a fucking like labial piercing that has like a ring <laughs> with the exactly like Chi Chi written on Katakana on it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs>